for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's a funny thing about addiction. I guess this kind of the overriding theme of this show is addiction because uh, this is my first non-Zen, non-coffee show in a long time. I did do this in the past. I don't think I ever did non-coffee. But I have to say I'm on hour four right now, and it has flown by. I think it's maybe because the guests have been really good, and it's just it's just felt super tapped in and good to me. I hope, I hope to you too. But... Uh, Here's the point I'm trying to make, though, is that our minds will tell us we need these things. Like for me, I would frame, I would always have a zen here and there and, and be like sort of, you know, it would be like this little reward or like, you know, on a break, put one in and then and then carry on. And then you're kind of like, it's harmless enough. You're just, It's just nicotine. It's it's sort of, you know, Tucker Carlson again, like he promotes using it. And, you know, he's got a zen in when he's interviewing putin but in a weird way you are actually sort of yeah you using uh using something even if it's mild so it's interesting to actually be clear of all that and, and feel that clarity and i and i i gotta say i'm i'm into it i'm into overcoming even these simple addictions it's funny anyway my next guest i i was uh i'm in arizona and i'm a new yorker in arizona and in new york one of the greatest things is there's art everywhere there's artists everywhere there's incredible spaces you go to these warehouse parties and you see these illegal i used to live in an illegal space in red hook arizona for like five and a half years and it was like a magical wonderland of art i had my own art gallery in dumbo as well so you're in encountering all these incredible artists well the other day my friend invited me to come see to this place called the ice house and to see like a space she might end up using as an art studio i need an art studio out here as well and we talked about maybe we'll split one but i encountered my next guest and his and he had the most incredible space i had seen in many years and just outstanding artwork all over it and i was like you got to be on my show Jim Covarubius, I hope I'm getting his last name right, is an Arizona native with decade-long experience in the arts. He is a U.S. Army veteran, sustains an MFA from Arizona State University, and is the founder of numerous organizations revolving around art, public service, and education. And he is here now. Jim, welcome to the show. How do I say your last name again? You did pretty good. It's Covarubius. Covarubius. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, man. Um, I really enjoyed the tour of the Ice House, of all of your work. It's deeply spiritual work. It's it's the work of a, of a master, I would say. How long have you been painting? I've been painting uh, as a professional like 40 years. So I have you know went to ASU, got my degrees after I uh, was in the Army. And uh, prior to that, my family was pretty involved in the arts, so I was around it. I was more interested in sports at that time, but uh, I did a lot of work as a child, you know, with my family. So I kind of had the aesthetic set up and um, I love it. I mean, I've just uh, been part of my life. I've gotten to different parts of it lately. What do you so, mean different parts of it lately? I mean, well, from, I, I just encountered you the the other night, right? Like for my first yeah. time, it was well the other day. It was like a few weeks ago with uh, uh -huh. Christiana and her sister, and and my little child was with us. And uh, I mean, dude, it, thank you. And it, it was like seeing a museum show of somebody's retrospective of their of their life work. There was multiple floors, multiple rooms of all these paintings it was like going into seeing like if the moma did the life's work of of famous artists that's what the experience was like so how long did that body of work take you to produce well that body not long uh i have done other bodies of work as it were um when i first got involved in the arts i um started a television program myself. I was host of a TV series where I'd go to studios and I would interview artists. And that taught me so much about techniques. So that was a great start. 
And from there, I saw that most artists were getting into a series and doing um, sometimes kind of the same work. And I thought, you know, I, I like that if I need to, but I'd rather just experiment with it. And I've been experimenting all this time. So I've uh, the techniques that I know how to do are to paint many different styles. So it depends on what I'm trying to say. Um, like the Ukraine series that you saw on my third floor, that was, uh, of course, inspired by the tragedy that's going on in Ukraine. And so that is a pretty hard exhibit to look at. Uh, so it isn't like something glorious and beautiful. It's something very humanistic and um, in a way, um, I guess, sad. But it's an important, uh, I, I guess, series to do. And right now I've been called to do like three different exhibits coming up. So I had to do like six paintings over the weekend. And I paint very fast, once again, thanks to the techniques that I got to see. And I think this is the key for an artist is to respond internally if you want to do something, but also uh, if somebody wants you to do something. And I've seen people who are kind of, uh, you know, reluctant to do that. But I like the challenge. I like uh, doing different things like painting live rock and roll bands and symphonies, going, for instance, to Japan and painting there. So the challenge is always kind of refreshes you. It just kind of um, puts you tense, but it's like really refreshing to do that. And I encourage people to really get into techniques, really realize that, you know what, experiment with that, uh, take a challenge, do something different. Um, the way I did a lot of the series lately, it's just by putting a bunch of paint on the canvas and not trying to paint anything, but start reacting to what I put there. And that really gives me, I think, more of a, a response, more of a, of a way of making it very fresh. And um, so it isn't a portrait. It isn't a landscape. It's more of a reaction to me and what I see when I put all the colors on the canvas. It's difficult as a painter myself. Once you get good at certain techniques, it, it's really hard to let that go and try something yeah. else, what you're talking about. I, I know... It, I'm sure people who don't paint probably would have a hard time understanding maybe what you're talking about. I guess they could extrapolate that over their own lives, like things that they're sort of comfortable doing and knowing they want to do something else, but they mm -hmm. aren't masters at that. And yeah, within painting, I, like right away, what comes to mind for me is start elementing more with collage elements like a la Rauschenberg or something like, like ripping right. up posters and, and putting that with Elmer's glue all over something and do just like break the whole thing wide open make it more interesting and and, mm -hmm. and let go of the tried and true techniques i'm already sort of comfortable with yeah i think that is the challenge is to not be comfortable with it and uh not try and do a painting but just kind of react as you're going along with whatever techniques you're doing and like i said i've done different things with the art i wrote an opera and owned an opera and that was a really a challenge i mean that was completely out of you know my bailiwick what i normally do but i uh i wanted to say something on stage i wanted to use music and a native american story and that was like completely foreign to me but it was so much fun and once we got into it did the performance it was like so refreshing and it was just like wow man that is so cool so it's it's having the aesthetics i think it's just going with your aesthetics and saying i want to put my own statement on it why opera though that seems like i mean i guess like i i sort of have like uh so ambitions to do some sort of broadway musical or i make like david bowie you know like was famously always making what he considered musicals like the ziggy star yeah. and they sound like it ziggy stardust and the spider from mars that sounds like that you could see that on Broadway or there was a couple of other ones I forget but he said he was writing uh musicals that never became musicals they just became albums and then like tours but why why did you think to go to opera what was it about opera well you know it, it was the idea well first of all I went to an, uh, an event where there was a Native American flute player 
And uh, my buddy, Michelle Sarda, and I, when we left there, we said, you know, that was fantastic. We love this guy's music. And he said, it's too bad there wasn't a story that went along with that. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, like, you know, something that would explain to a non-native audience or even to a native audience uh, a story that relates something to uh, revealing something about that culture. So I got to thinking about it. And uh, we have famous Native American people like Crazy Horse and Geronimo and Sitting Bull and people like that. But I thought, you know, there's got to be more of a humanistic way of reaching that culture. So what I did was I started fishing around for some historical things. I used to teach Mesoamerican art history in college. So one of the fascinating uh, things to me was the business, the actual, you know, uh, uh, work done by the people we call Cocopelles, who are the people who carried goods on their back all across of America. A lot of the interstates are their trails. And they would bring things up from Mexico to North America. And they did this for a thousand years. They were uh, a guild, basically people by the Toltec tribe. And as I researched in some of that, I realized, you know, there's a story there because in the big, huge drought um, in the 13th century, the Hopewell culture in Ohio and that area got destroyed and abandoned. And so did the big culture here in Phoenix, Arizona, where there was like 10 villages for 900 years with as many as 50,000 people. And they dug these canals that we still use today, but it was abandoned about 1250. And my cousin, who was a medicine man, took me to a site just north of Phoenix here. And it's called the Sears Cave Ruins. And he said this was a religious commune that was built, burned in 1250. And it, that, that really kind of just stuck with me going like, well, who would have burned it and why did they burn it? And the drought was going on then. So I pieced together some facts and then made up a fictional story about a group of Cocopelli coming and finding the this uh, commune, which is very rare. We see ruins of Indian villages, but this was a very isolated place, so there are no fields around to grow anything. And his idea and uh, led the, I guess, the historical legend part of it was that it was a commune. So I pieced that together. And I came up with the last ball game. Wait, meaning game. meaning that it was just a place for like religious study exactly. or like the, a communion with God, and that was really unusual. And I hope huh? I take you there sometime. I show you. Yeah, it's a very strange. Oh, I would love to uh, see that, man. Yeah, it has weird sort of feelings to it. Uh, there's an enormous, and I mean an enormous, huge pillar of a rock on the east side that looks like a, a eagle. So. They might have, I'm not sure what came first, you know, they, they wanted to build it or realizing this is a holy place for the, where they used to go and pray. But he showed me the, what's called Sipapu, which is a sacred uh, Mother Earth um, formation of rock that has been um, grooved out in a couple of different areas to grind up herbs that they would burn as a prayer. And there is a series of uh, now, of course, the rubble buildings that are about maybe two or three feet high. So the shapes are still there. But there is a kiva, which is a sacred place for us, in the middle of these series of uh, ruins that you can only reach by going around the ruins and coming through the other ones to get in there. So... It was all like centered on a church, if you will. And the place fascinated me. So that's where I started. Why? Why Why did it fascinate you? Well, actually, before you answer that, let's pick that on the other side of the break. I'm, I'm thinking about like how important you, is it to express your, your cultural heritage is to you and sort of how lucky you are to have that like well seriously i'm a mutt man i like i'm spanish scottish and then something else and then something else and then a quarter of this so i don't even have that i'm like just you know what i mean like i'm just a human anyway <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious like 
What about that led you to want to write an opera around that? We'll get that answer right after these words on TNT. TNT's Pervoye Morich. Putin said Biden would be a better U.S. president for Russia than Trump and dismissed concerns over his counterpart's age and acuity for the role. Um, so maybe he's af afraid of that label again of Russian collusion, Trump, Putin, uh, and whatnot. But, you know, he's made the statement in the past that it doesn't matter who's in the White House, left or right, Democrat or Republican. Once the president gets in, um, men in black suits show up and tell tell him what to do. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Back with artist Jim Covarrubias, and we're talking about a commune that inspired the story of his opera, and that I guess somebody burned it down. It always is like that with um, communion with God. It really, it really uh, sort of infuriates people when you're trying to get with the creator, doesn't it? Well, you know, there were so many different cultures here in ancient times. And one of the good parts about it is there was plenty of food until this major drought in 1240. It destroyed the big, huge uh, culture that had a lot of folks around them. So it was kind of a desperate approach by the people who didn't have against the people who have. And in our opera, what happens is that they play a ball game. The ball games were sacred back then, and there were 200 ball courts here in the Valley of the Sun for 900 years. So the ball courts were very important to settle issues like war, problems with, with um, you know, other ways that they would have to kind of clash with each other. And so I have that ball game as central in the opera, and the Cocopelles were young guys that were walking across America with all these goods on the back. And they would basically come in at times when there was a ceremony and they would be the outside ball team basically so the barbarians who were the poorest of the poor from the idaho utah area ran out of food and started taking food and from chaco canyon and mesa verde and this place sears k ruins which is not the indian name but it's the name of the person who kind of discovered it so they basically were desperate and needing food so the ball game answers that in the old culture, the losing team would have the captain's head cut off. So in this case, the captain nobly kneels in front of the Cocopelli captain of the other team and the corn priestess comes up and says, don't kill him. We need these people. We all have to leave here and we're gonna go south where there is food. And they went south and they became the Aztecs and they became mercenaries for one of the kings there. And within a hundred years, they controlled a big, huge area of Mexico. And 150 years after that, the Spanish arrived. So the Aztecs were a North American tribe, a Uto-Aztecan language tribe that invaded Mexico in a soft way and then became these kind of uh, very cruel um rulers and that's who cortez discovered in 1518 when he landed in mexico so it, it's kind of based on the reality of history but with a you know highly fictional group of people now the corn priestess once they installed and got control of mexico they put in the corn priestess as the authority the last corn priestess in history is called the virgin guadalupe which is she is still prayed to uh, she's the one who told everybody to become Catholic, and it probably saved thousands of lives because they were pretty adamant about following their old religion. But because she was the authority, she basically told everybody to become Catholic. So it kind of intertwines with this history that a lot of people don't know. You know, you ask uh, Mexicans sometimes where the Aztecs are from, they say Mexico. 
They've been there thousands of years. Well, the reality is they're only there a couple hundred years before the Spanish arrived. So, mm. And it has an impact on us today. We just saw the Super Bowl. Uh, of course, that's based upon uh, a different sport from Europe, but it includes the ball now instead of a pig skin, which they used to fight over village to village. That was kind of evolved into rugby and football. But any game with a target uh, and a rubber ball, like basketball, soccer, volleyball, their inspiration for that is a Native American game that was played all across the Americas. It's interesting because with the football too, like there's there's so much conspiratorial stuff around it, even to the point where uh, the president releases a troll meme saying just as we wrote it with some with dark brand a picture of dark brand and laser eyes i don't know if you saw that but but then also you see breakdowns on twitter x about how it's rigged and all the sort of satanic uh, rituals around it you see little celebrities doing weird dances and rituals and stuff i i mean when you're speaking of the game in this in sort of sacred terms the, the importance of that the removal of a chief's head if they lost this kind of stuff all of a sudden it makes all that stuff that that people are uh, you know sort of black pilling about professional football these days not really seem so outlandish after all maybe it's all part of it right I, I don't know about that you know I played a little football myself and my big inspiration was the cheerleaders you know so that was my, my goal. <laughs> there's always that too Jim <laughs> yeah yeah there's that uh, you want to be idolized by by a certain group of people well okay anyway, so, yeah, let, so let me show you this there's the issue on sophisticated living magazine about the opera and this uh, big painting there actually became a uh, serigraph. So we have copies of that. And the, on the front cover is uh, Eva Green, you know, the actress. Uh, <laughs> so it's a kind of nice uh, company to keep. But there's a story about how I came up with the opera. And here is the book. And what I did was I did, I don't know how many paintings for the opera. But here's the opera book. And here's some of the paintings they're very very colorful let me get to a page here where you can see some but they're based upon the stories that i just told you and mm. this is really fun to do because you're you're kind of making your your uh visuals before you write the script before i wrote the, all the prose that became the songs uh i did the paintings so i kind of worked from the paintings and then i used some of them as the inspiration for some of the songs so the, and I usually write about my paintings, like this one here is about Cocopelli. And I kind of describe it. And sometimes on the back of the painting, I'll write uh, prose or poem, maybe a short story, but it kind of solidifies for the viewer what I'm trying to do, I think. And so that is, and here's a, you know, it's interesting because people tell people to focus on one thing i i do uh, you know i make a lot of music i record music i also make paintings i also am writing i do all those things too and sometimes i chastise myself <laughs> for not focusing on one more but for you is well, being I, sort I of uh, not focusing I, I think it's more it, it reveals more of you so I if think you that's don't important. focus your focus can be a clutch yeah, focus yeah. and kind of trap you. And then if you listen to people, and I've also learned that, you know what, if somebody really likes a painting of mine, that's fine. They don't like a painting of mine, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. I'm doing it for myself. Um, I'm not looking for an audience or for praise. I'm kind of just creating it because I really feel compelled to. But I don't want to kind of be doing something that somebody says, hey, give me a hundred of those paintings. And I'll make you famous. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of getting famous without do, without doing that. And I think people kind of like the fact that if I go in front of an audience and I paint live, I'm painting it right there. So I'm kind of discovering it as I go along. So that that is, I think, the quality that you want to get to is just to respond to something without saying, I'm going to make this. You say, I'm going to discover this. And that's is that is that kind of a way of not coming from the ego and coming more from the spirit? Exactly. You know, in Native American way, your expression is sacred. 
um, it can be analyzed by people. It can be written about itself. But what you're doing is basically a very sacred process, creating, just absolutely creating. And this, I think, is misunderstood by people. A lot of times they put the word market in front of art and saying, how successful are you? In the Native American way, you're blessed by creating before anything else happens. And this is, I think, the beauty that you should get into uh, as you're making whatever you're making. It's going to be better for that attitude, man. I'll tell you this, dude. I think social media has certainly uh, brought more of that market aspect out because everything Mm -hmm. gets reduced to how many likes do you have? How many followers do you have? It, it, It reduces artists to this high school popularity contest. And it it really kind of like destroys the soul of the art. It makes it more about the response rather than this space you're talking about, getting into this sacred space, giving it the value of the fact that God or whatever you believe is giving you this blessing of being creative in that moment and letting that be what it's about. And then whatever happens afterwards with it is something else entirely. Yeah, I used to get in trouble in school for drawing and I would be doodling all the time. It was just like uh, I had to do it. And sometimes in a, in a fun way, you know, doing a caricature of a friend or something. And the teachers would say, we don't want you doing that. We don't want you drawing. Uh, and there wasn't a really emphasis in our school, public school, on creating. We might do a workshop on this or that, but there wasn't this approach that, you know what, this is special. And it's part of your growing up. And as part of you discovering yourself is to create and even just sing a song. We have, we have to sing songs that were already written. And I like writing songs, you know, just like you. So I, I, I don't want to, and it's cool though to, you know, go through old school or whatever and, and play a song. But as I was writing for the opera, it felt so good to create a beat, to create you know, instruments that would fit in at places and, and create that dialogue with the prose. And that is something that everybody should have fun with. And it's great to remember a Beatles song, but it's like, you know, how about your own song? And in Native American way, we do have sacred songs. The songs that I learned were from the Medicine Lodge and it's called a Sweat Lodge. And they are very special because they're basically a thank you to your spirit. And people say, wow, the Indians have a war song. They never have a war song. They had a blessing song that applied to that you have to get killed even in war. They would sing. They'd be surrounded by, you know, cavalry, and the guy would start singing. They're saying, well, they're not afraid of death. Yeah, you know, death is a mystery, so it's something to be, you know, cautious about. And, and fear is okay. Fear is part of the human, you know, the psyche that we have. But what happens is that, they were given a blessing the last moment and saying, thank you for my life. Thank you for all the things you've given me. Not, I want to kill people. I want to be a tough guy. They're saying, thank you for letting me do all these things in a very special, sacred way. And that's what everybody's life should be, especially artists. It's hard to get there, I think, for some people because I don't think society promotes that idea so much that like we're supposed to sort of prove ourselves to God on some level and sort of prove ourselves through gratitude and through thanking him for all Mm -hmm. the blessing and loving him. Like, I think that, you know, it's interesting that you pick this commune that got caught on, that got sort of uh, put on fire as something that sprung this whole work, this opera, because there's something to that connecting with God and thanking him for our lives and, and the something with the art there as well. And sort of looking at it as an offering and as an evidence of, of blessing in and of itself. It's innate in human. I mean, I, I go to mosques and I've been to temples and I've been to churches and there is a special feeling because it's outside the normal world. And it usually has some kind of a, a mantra visually, you know, it could be a cross, could be the uh, in script, you know, the Arabic, but they're all sacred and they kind of make you sacred if you open your heart to it. Uh, you don't have to know the religion, just realize that people are opening up their hearts in this location. And I think that that kind of sensitivity 
is a religion in a way. It's something that we see in many different places as natives. Uh, we see it in places where other people don't. They, they want to go into a sacred place, but if you walk into the desert and you see a place that is just really kind of cool and beautiful, maybe kind of just the right setting of trees, we call that hoso, which is sacred, or hanaga, which is, means uh, thank you, sacred. So those are very special because those are all around us. Those can, it's harder to find them in the city, but if you go out into the mountains, you go out into, to, to, by the river, you go out there uh, to the desert, you'll see places that enrich in your spirit and kind of give you something special because it's just pure beauty. It's, it's just something that is a gift to you. And that, and I think it enhances you as an artist or a songwriter, whatever you're doing. And we, Certainly. we have a lot, but I think we need more. Yeah. Well, there really can't be too much of that. And in the world, there, there, there's, there's the, you know, sort of battle between good and evil. And then there's the battle between sort of viewing what your work is sacred and viewing it as a means to an end. If it's a means to an end, you know, it's just coming from the sort of ego space. It's coming from the sort of seeking for something to get something for it. And if it's coming yeah. from the sacred space, it's coming it's coming from the space of wanting to give something to others to give to god and to give to others and and which is going to make more powerful and compelling work it's ironic because the work that is sacred and is about giving is the one that's going to actually get you something but you can't you can't do it from that space or else you put it back in the other category <laughs> yeah that's true and people want you and, and the goal for a lot of people is to get more power somehow, you know, to kind of get control and power, which is kind of uh, the opposite of making art. Because making art is kind of releasing something in you that isn't trying to win, it's trying to discover something in the Hoso or the Hanaga way. Uh, and that allows you to win spiritually and to be enriched by in your own self be appreciating what you're doing and in indian prayer it always begins with this thank you for my life before you try and bless anybody else or say a prayer for somebody you thank whatever you want to call your the energy around us that is uh, that we're a part of you thank that energy for your life and that allows you then to be part of the whole soul or Hanaga to acknowledge you're a human being that you know you love yourself you respect yourself um, and that allows you to have discipline and wisdom as a result in fact that's a sacred circle for natives is the love respect discipline and wisdom and it's a cycle and if you follow that cycle for whatever you do you're going to enjoy it more do they thank God or do they thank spirit? What do they, what do they call it? We, you know, Tankashala is one of the names and there's many names for the spirit, if you will, but it isn't like a human being. It isn't like uh, a person judging or a person <laughs> that you have to kowtow to. It's the acknowledgement that you're part of an energy that is even uh, energy in a mountain, energy in, in, especially in water, you know, water is very sacred to us. We call it many chosen Wakan. And Wakan does mean sacred, but it has a sort of a, a, a ownership concept with natives. The Wakan is acknowledgement of the sacred. So it doesn't need to be a church. It can be into many things, uh, your own children, you know, uh, your, your thoughts. Uh, it, it's, it has a way of transcending the idea that there's a God, there is, you're the part of it, your energies, you know, your. Well, it's con it's consciousness, what's not changing, everything that's changing yeah. around what's not changing. So consciousness is unified and, and, and eternal and has been the same as when I was 10 to where I am now. And my life has changed and gone through all kinds of crazy stuff. People come mm -hmm. and go, it changes shape. 
it does all kinds of stuff it bounces all over like a big fun house but then there's this sort of through it this through line of consciousness that's been like zing and that's present moment awareness and that is who i call god you know what i mean because that yeah. is what's been eternal and always present and witnessing the whole thing and has not changed one iota you remember the fascination you had about the world when you're like 11 years old when you're really starting to realize wow this is the way it works and there's this appreciation and fun that you have with almost anything it's like you know everything can enhance your life at that age and mm -hmm. that's what you should try and bring out uh even as adult is keep that really precious fun living alive in, in your in your psyche he comes back alive when you quit when you quit nicotine and coffee he comes back <laughs> even more alive. let me take a quick break and i'll be right back after these words on tnt give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg well it's the weekend and a lot of you parents are probably trying to figure out what am i going to do to entertain my preschooler keep them happy keep her happy well have you ever heard of coco melon it's a like the most popular show on netflix it's for preschoolers nursery rhymes and all kinds of goodies including things like this. Something that we know about you. You love to get up and dance. How about you break out those moves for your two biggest fans? Yes, that appears to be a little boy dancing in a girl's costume for his two gay daddies. And there's more. If you're not sure what to choose, think about all the things you like hmm. to do. Just be you. Just be me? Yep. When you're trying to decide, think about all the things you like to do. Just be you. Just be me? Yes, nothing like teaching your preschoolers how to dance around for their two gay parents. Hey. When did the two gay daddies teach the kid to spell indoctrination? Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday right here, 9 p.m. Eastern on TNT. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. 2. Think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighbourhood safer place. 3. It's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, Park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire, and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. And we're back with the artist Jim Covarrubias. We were talking about making things sacred, doing things from a space of gratitude. And I guess also in making things sacred, what Jim's uh, undertaking a massive mural campaign out here in Arizona that's like, uh, I think the city is sponsoring and he He's, and it's gonna we'll we'll talk about it jim i mean like there's gonna be murals all over the city you're gonna gonna <laughs> attempt to make the entire city of phoenix a sacred space right yeah this is a six block area that we're talking about that uh aps arizona public service is actually the uh, money behind it and the idea behind it and now that we're seeing murals around the world and probably the biggest uh relationship that people have with art is in murals. So what we've done is we've looked at the history of Phoenix and we've selected like 47 topics and then 
you know, probably six large abstracts. A very cool one that I showed you the other day that you see an image as you're driving one direction, another image as you're coming the other way, like a serrated wall that's 199 feet long. And we'll be hiring um, quite a few artists to do this. And we're basically looking at allegories. We're looking at murals that tell a story about a particular topic that uh, has to do with history. And this is really, I think, uh, another, like I say, a challenge in art, something new for me. I'm the curator director, and uh, it's been a lesson in many things, including dealing with uh, how you set this up to get the permission from the city, et cetera. Um, but it is going to be very rewarding to realize this is the biggest mural project ever in Phoenix. And uh, we're going to have artists uh, do this for us. And um, I think it's going to be, you know, just uh, uh, it is a challenge, but I think it's going to be a reward because uh, we have so many great artists already apply for this. And I told you about that, gave you my card, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, we went uh, home right after that meeting and all of us applied for it, Jim. There you so go. There we're, you go. We're, we're yeah. ready to do it, man. I know. But, I know. So how did you find yourself in this position? Tell that story a little bit, because you were brought into some <laughs> office and like city, it sounded like a a scene out of a Martin Scorsese movie <laughs> yeah. where they're like, it was like a big lawyer there. And they're like, how much will this cost Jim? And they give you a little piece of paper and a pen that has blood for ink and you write a number <laughs> and then slide it across. Tell that story. Well, the, the reason I got to that position was because of the community. And I had my first studio gallery when I got out of college in that community. And it was a place I could afford. It had been an old market and it was uh, just exactly what I needed at the time. And it gave me a place to exhibit and bring my friends in to exhibit us uh, to play around with cameras and, and record some stuff and started me on a lot of different things. So when the community uh, was approached by Arizona Public Service, they said, we have the guy in mind who could do this and um, he can paint anything. And, and, and I, although I'm not going to be painting one of them, but why said, not? Why wouldn't you? Well, I, I really want to, um, you know, let the artists that, that we select uh, do this. Um, you know, I, I might paint one, you know, I, I'd love to paint one on music because I knew some of the I guys. I think that, you should, man. You're such a good yeah. painter, man. You're, you know, you're a beacon in this community and this, you know, it's like, oh, it would be fitting for you to paint one, I think. And it wouldn't be like unseemly. I mean, you're just, you're just leading the project. That doesn't mean <laughs> you don't get to sort of pick yourself. I think that's fine to pick yourself to do one of the murals. Yeah, man. Anyone that has... Yeah something well, to say about that I'll let them know you recommended it yeah when i yeah, when I'm you, for it yeah, i mean I, dude I if you weren't a great painter i would say yeah that's probably better but you're you're <laughs> a great painter i mean oh thanks man thanks yeah you should do well, one but anyway keep going yeah so anyway i got a call and they said can you come to the public relations building for uh offices for aps and i thought they wanted to buy a painting so I went prepared to get my, you know, show book portfolio, et cetera. And uh, the secretary said, wait in the conference room here. And I walked in and there were some big blowups of uh, my face and some of my art. I thought, what is going on, you know? So the guy came in, COVID was going on, uh, sat across the song table. And like you say, we were just pushed a piece of paper and a pen and said, write in what you want to direct this project we're doing on murals. So um, I wrote in the amount. I thought there might be a discussion about it. And you said, fine. I went, wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool. And then I started discovering what the process was. And I realized this is going to be a lot of work. And it has been a lot of work. But I've learned a lot. You know, you're a writer. I'm a writer. That's one of the toughest ways of expression there is, is to write things, especially when you're writing about a topic like, like a, an essay on something, that you have to do some research on it. You have to become uh, kind of a, a presenter of that topic, if you will, so somebody else can read it and then do something with it, uh, you know, in their own way. But they have to be inspired somehow with some kind of degree of detail and something about the charm of the subject. Um, so that is what we give to each artist. We will be given to each artist. 
and then we're going to let each artist um i wouldn't say compete for it but they look at a couple of different topics and they there's some that are abstract but to look at what is the impact that you want to give to the audience that strolls around the six block area and for the most part discovers the people who live here way back into 1868 when it was founded here um and what were the good and high parts of it and what were the charming parts of it and what were the cultural parts of it um and there's all, all kinds of surprises in there um i love history so i'm kind of the right guy for that really and yeah i like to describe it you love it almost as much as putin does i mean you go into it <laughs> hey jim what, what do i love why do i love arizona so much i mean you talked about the commune and, and the sort of sacred space but i feel this sacred energy around this area like there's something about i lived in new york for 25 years i was sort of saying that earlier and that is its own kind of sacred energy or its own mm -hmm. artistic vibe there was a lot of you know of all this excitement of new york what kept me there so long really was the energy of the place now that i've moved to arizona it's like the energy energy here and there you know it's famously known for the vortex in sedona that might be marketing or that might be true but there's definitely an energy here that feels really good what do you think that is i think part of it is the ancient people who lived here for 900 years in this area without a war uh it was controlled basically by the corn priestesses uh, and there was no sign of a war here for 900 years they built all these canals uh the mountains were sacred to them we still have a lot of people climbing every day up in these mountains that are beautiful and thank god we haven't built on top of them so there is the i think the uh ghost in a sense of what these people were all about I mean, a place uh, that existed for 900 years without a war is pretty unusual in our world. And I think that's part of it. And I think that's that wild. There's about, yeah, the idea of um, how blessed uh, the uh, sun is here to us. And it just kind of encompasses you. And you get down to 70 degrees, and you think winter is here. So we're uh, kind of a different breed and you know i've been to, i visited my friends up in sweden one time and and it was their summer and they're walking around with just t-shirts and shorts and i'm wearing a sweater and levi's and boots because i'm going man this is cool so i think the environment itself is part of it i think that the history is part of it and uh my uh, great aunt and my grandmother uh explained a lot of things to me about the old place here and how they built uh, the religious sites on top of what you might call a vortex, and how that is an important blessing, if you will, that inadvertently they kind of kept the Native American uh, sensibilities of energy alive. Uh, we have a saying that when you go to a place that's sacred, and even live in a place that's sacred, you have to open your heart. And a lot of places make you a little more tense. Um, you know, travel to a big city that's foreign to you. Uh, you got to kind of tense up, and you, and you got to kind of be sharp, you know, on, on your toes. Um, that here, if you open your heart, you realize that there's some kind of give back to you, and it makes it, I think, more special. The more people who do that, and I think that should be one of the lessons in school is uh, letting people know that you're you are sacred. And if you open your heart, you'll see the sacred. How do you open your heart, Jim? And I think one of the mural themes should be opening of the heart. I think that would be really good. But how do you open your heart? There is a way of releasing everything uh, when you open your heart. Uh, you know, you're always thinking about something. But to, in a sense, not try to think about something is one of the steps. But the other steps is to look for the beauty in that moment and it can be uh internal it can be part of just acknowledging where you are at the moment um so if you go into like i say a place that looks really beautiful to you as you're hiking around and you take a moment just to kind of look at a rock a plant um you know maybe even a little animal if you open your heart you're actually able to in a sense communicate with that moment and this refreshes you this is something that that allows you to um, 
have that moment by yourself and whatever you're thinking is sacred. Do you so, practice that every day? Like when you say you're always thinking about something, lately that's not true with me anymore. I, I, I really specifically spend uh, at least a couple hours or at least an hour in the first part of the day where I'm like really training myself not to be thinking and just being in presence and i'm finding it easier and easier to stay there like it used to be like some sort mm -hmm. of co abstract concept but the more i practice this and the more i'm just sort of in a space of forgiveness then i i can actually remain there for significant periods and then like when the bible it says pray ceaselessly i think it, what they mean is constantly bring your mind back to present moment awareness and not thinking do you practice this as well i i do and that's why i say that's how i approach even a painting is that i don't try and accomplish anything i just try and open up my heart to whatever i'm doing and enjoy it even if it's a sad topic um you know the process itself is sacred so to me it's like you have to approach it that way and I get a kick out of many different things. Uh, I get charmed by many different things. And uh, laughing and, and, and internally smiling at things, even if they're the problem, I think is the healthiest way to go. And it does allow you to see more in that way, in the way that uh, natives say it. You're allowed to see more sacred because you open your heart. What would you tell your younger self that you know now that you wish you knew then? And not 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 to like go through into like a space of regret or anything, but like if you could tell your sort of twenty year old self like two things, what would it be? I think the first thing is don't take yourself too seriously, mm -hmm. and the second thing is realize that your journey, which we call the good red road, each person has a good red road to follow. Try and say on that with a good sense of humor and realize that each step that you take is sacred. Mm. It's it's uh, it's interesting to remind yourself that each step you take is sacred. And it's like you're definitely going to be reminded of that at the end of your life. Right. But it's it's like in the nuts and bolts of your day, it's easy to sort of forget that space. Yeah. And it really helps to have people that you really love. I mean, that's the other mm -hmm. important thing about life is to really love them, really love your friends, really love your family, your children, your pets. I mean, that really is, I think, uh, also in itself. And yeah, also. Kind of, mm -hmm. Jim, thank you for coming on the show, man. It's been a real honor to talk to you. And uh, I, I appreciate everything you're doing. Tell everyone where to find you and how they can access your work. Well, my studio is at the Ice House, 429 West Jackson in Phoenix. Um, they can find me on the Covarubius Collection, which is uh, a website, covarubiuscollection.com. And, um, you know, they can see, they can just Google me and, and, you know, find my email and all that. I, I try to be very public, especially. And, you, and the Covarubius Collection has the mural project on it. Somebody wants to register like you did. That is uh, the title of the mural project is La Flor del Pueblo, the flower of the town. So it's kind of a uh, homage to the beauty of a flower, but through the ways that the artists are going to blossom. All right. Well, let's all be the flowers of our town this weekend. Jim Carubius, Carubius, uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been wonderful talking to you, man. Have a great night. Hope you enjoyed it. I did, brother. Keep much. listening. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be back with more on TNT.